Welcome to this episode of SRUC Veterinary Services podcast. I'm Alison Braddock, Marketing and Business Development Manager, and I will be chatting to Katrina Henderson, Veterinary Investigation Officer, about a project involving pre-weaned suckler calf deaths. Hi, Katrina, and welcome. Thanks very much, Alison. So what is your project about? So it was a project that I carried out with my colleague Ian McCormack at our St Boswell Centre and what we set out to do was to review five years worth, so from 2016 to 2020, um, data around the causes of death of of pre-weaned suckler calves. Um, So we looked at all carcasses less than six months that were submitted to our post-mortem centres unless there was a a note in the history that, that they had been weaned already. And really what we wanted to do was to look at what were the most common diagnoses, how did that vary between regions and and were there any sort of surprise diagnoses or ones that we had underestimated or overestimated the importance of and and then use that to take forward to see what we learned from that and and where we should spend our time and energy learning more about conditions or or tackling conditions as as an industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it wasn't a, a representative look at the industry as a whole you know it was based on on passive surveillance so for that we we needed farmers to bring carcasses in and um and, and we're really grateful to to all that that did and contributed to this um and when we pulled the data together we had we had quite a good data set so we had um 1662 carcasses uh, wow. and from those we had 2096 diagnoses um mm-hmm. and those were were rather than predisposing factors they were things that contributed to the the death of the calf um the wide there was a vast range of different diagnoses so there was 154 different things that calves had died of um and what was really encouraging was that we we had a 94 percent diagnostic rate from these carcasses so sometimes in older suckler calves when it's it's summer and it's hot and there's predation then then diagnoses can be more challenging but actually in, in mm-hmm. pre-weaned suckler calf it's it's really worth it Mm-hmm. And we looked as well at the sort of age and weight, the month of birth and death, um, vaccination, treatment history, housing, feeding history to look at, at whether or not that any of those contributed. So the um, the age spread was quite interesting. About a quarter of the postmortems done in calves less than six months of old, old were in calves less than a week of age. So really, that's the, the kind of point when we see a lot of submissions and actually half of them were, were within the first month. So things tended to, to quieten down after that. OK, so that's really interesting. Um, and what were the most common diagnoses and how did they vary between regions? So the most so in terms of, sort of overall um, for Scotland, cholesteptisemia was was number one, uh, navel ill number two. Um, so probably what what you would expect. Um, below that we had Mannheimia hemolytica pneumonia, Cryptosporidia, Pasteurella maltosida uh, pneumonia, coccidiosis, calving issues, abomasal ulceration, joint ill, and Mycoplasma bovis pneumonia. Um, and so those comprise the top ten overall. Some of them made the top 10 for every region. So cholesteptisemia, navel ill, Mannheimia hemolytica pneumonia, cryptosporidia, abmesal ulceration, calving issues and, and mycoplasma bovis pneumonia were, were in the top 10 for every region and overall. But there were some that featured quite strongly in uh, regionally. So in the southwest of Scotland, so the Air and Dumfries labs, Salmonella Dublin was number three. 
um, and, and didn't feature in the top 10 elsewhere in Central and Southeast. Um, so that was our, our Edinburgh, our Perth and St Boswell's labs. Uh, bovine neonatal pancytopenia came in at number six and, and pulpy kidney was also in the top 10 as well. Um, mm-hmm. And for the north regions, so um, Aberdeen, Inverness, Thurso, Histophilus somni, pneumonia was was in their top 10 as well and wasn't elsewhere. So some regional variations, but some very much common to the, the beef industry across Scotland. Gosh, right. OK, so um, scars and pneumonias would have been expected to be common causes of mortality. Um, how common were they and what were the most common causes? Yeah, it was quite interesting. Scars were probably not as big an issue as I thought they would be. So, so um, sort of scour diagnosis made up 12% of our um, of our diagnoses. Mm. Um, and the top five were, were cryptococci. Um, idiopathic necrotizing enteritis came in at number three, which was a surprise to me. And then rotavirus and, and coronavirus were the top five. Um, kind of next five after that was attaching and effacing E. coli, which may well be more common because it it really requires fresh, fresh guts to to get that diagnosis in histopathology. And then it was K99 E. coli, salmonellas and and worms coming into the the sort of older age age range. Pneumonias were more common, so they were about a quarter of the diagnosis. Um, And again, the the top five, probably not too many surprises in there, was manheimia, uh, pasturella, mycoplasma, histophilus. And then Drupalella pyogenes, so really reflecting a sort of a, a chronic pneumonia. Um, it was interesting that, that viruses didn't feature particularly in there, and it's it's not to say they weren't important. So IBR did come in at um, at number seven, and RSV at number eight. Um, but it may just be that they've set up the initiating infection and they've been and gone by the time we see them. Um, but certainly if you know if, if you're getting mortality and calf pneumonia outbreaks, then it's it's the bacteria um they'd, they'd looked at at that stage. I mean I know you, you mentioned surprises, but were there any diagnoses or findings that, that surprised you that we, we might mention here? Yeah, there were a few and it's amazing when you put all this data together, what you know, what comes out further up the list and, and further down the list than you think there would be and, and for us in the southwest, Salmonella Dublin coming in at number three was a was a surprise to me. Um, we we know we have a big issue with it in the dairy herd, um, but we're possibly less aware of it in the beef herd. Um, now, seventy percent of the diagnoses of Salmonella Dublin in, in suckler in pre-weaned suckler calves came in the southwest of Scotland, which probably just reflects the the increased prevalence in the dairy herd um, mm-hmm. and the, the, the number of dairy herds in this area. But it, it, there's a few interesting things pulled out of it as well. One was that 2018 was a really bad year for it um, and that really skewed the, the diagnosis mm-hmm. um, with a number of herds experiencing Salmonella Dublin for the first time and experiencing high mortality in, in cows as well but particularly in calves and I just wonder if that reflects the the environmental conditions. So in 2018, we had the beast from the east. We had cattle mm-hmm. that overwintered in poorer condition than usual. Uh, we had animals housed for longer. Um, so I, I wonder if actually beef herds generally have a, a good degree of immunity to be able to cope with this. Um, but environmental challenge and, and in immunity, um, suppressed immunity, perhaps please plays a role in, in when this this jumps up the list in, in terms of diagnosis but we hadn't expected it to be so common it's quite interesting as well in that 
well, you get a spectrum of, of clinical signs in dairy herds. Diarrhea comes out as the most common one, but it, it doesn't in suckler herds. So um, pneumonia was the most common presentation of Salmonella Dublin. Um, diarrhea in at number two, and then neurological diseases and, and sudden deaths um, came, came after that as well. I think pulpy kidney was another surprise for us as well. So it was in the top 10 for Central and Southeast, um, and it was also the most common Clostridial disease, which is interesting because when you look at the most common vaccination for Clostridial diseases in the, the population of calves we looked at, it, it was black leg vaccination. It wasn't a sort of multivalent Clostridial. Um, whether actually pulpy kidneys, quite an interesting one to look at. Most of the diagnoses as well were between birth and two weeks of age, so neonatal pulpy kidney. Um, and then your more, I guess, recognised peak between seven weeks and 11 weeks of age. What was quite interesting as well is, is you know, we usually think of it, A, as being more common in sheep, and we usually think of it as a cause of, of sudden death. But a third of these calves were were seen alive and, and picked up um, before they died. And, and really the most common signs were recumbency, neurological disease and, and high temperatures. So I would you know, encourage practitioners that if you're seeing calves with clinical signs like these between birth and 14 days, that it's, it's very much something that needed to be on the radar um, and probably wasn't on, on my radar as much as it should be until you count them all up, group them together and, and realise that actually it's, it's, um, it is a problem. The other, um, probably the, the final surprise for us was, was idiopathic necrotizing enteritis being the third most common cause of, of enteric disease. Um, and it's it's probably quite a frustrating one in that, you know, we don't fully understand what, what causes it. Um, although actually there's some interesting things that have come out of this. Um, so it, it peaks between May and August, but with odd diagnosis outside of, of that. And it was... Um, calves really between about two months and five months of age uh, mm -hmm. and pneumonia was the most common clinical presentation and that's usually a secondary pneumonia because you get a really profound bone marrow suppression with with this and um, sometimes they look like they're going to be an idiopathic necrotizing enteritis so you get really horrible gut pathology but sometimes they're a bit more subtle you get just little lesions in the larynx or, or kidney lesions as well so it's it's worth bearing in mind and it, it certainly well, in about half the cases, it was a, a one-off death in that group when they'd submitted it. Um, in, in about half of them, it is they've had more than one case or they have it year after year. So it's, it's one that's worth bearing in mind. Gosh, that's fascinating, Katrina. Um, so what are the predisposing factors you looked at and what impact did they have? Yeah, so we looked at a few factors, um, and there's there's probably you know there's certainly it's a huge data set, and there's probably more we can can do with this data set going forward. But we looked at at failure of passive transfer as a predisposer, um, and we had ZST results for uh, 278 calves, so we had quite a, a good proportion to look at. Um, of those, 87% had failure of passive transfer. Um, and in 46% of those, it was it would be what we call absolute failure of passive transfer. So the, the ZST result was, was less than five. So, I mean, I think it's probably no surprise, but if you're getting mortality in, in calves less than seven days of age, then failure of passive transfer is, is definitely in there. I think it's probably worth 
also noting that you know these are not healthy calves we're checking for failure of passive transfer these are tend to be dehydrated calves and the higher end of the zsts tended to be in in calves that were that were scoured and dehydrated so actually that's that's probably an artificially low proportion of calves with with failure of passive transfer um we looked then at at difficulties calving and, and how that related to um, failure of passive transfer too. And so 91% of calves with, with dystochia had failure of passive transfer. And in 64%, that's, that's absolute. So it, it also gives us a heads up that if we've got calves that have dystochia, um, that, that survive, that really we need to start looking at um maximizing colostrum intake and colostrum absorption through through sorting acidosis and other factors we looked at dystochia as well not just as a predisposing factor but as an as an absolute diagnosis because certainly there there were um there were cases and, and that entered the top 10 in every region um as a, a a cause or as a cause or contributor to to death as well um, and these are really only the ones that we can tell from the pathology that there has been dystochia um, there will be more um more that have had you know hypoxia oxygen starvation that it will have contributed to to poor viability and, and poor colostrum intake um so of the the ones where we could find post-mortem evidence uh about 30 percent were were traumatosia so it was fractures bruising hemorrhage um and the other 70 percent were, were more slow calvings acidosis hypoxia it was interesting in that we looked at the histories as well and whether or not they'd been assisted or they'd had a section. Um, and so 57% had been an assisted calving, 13% had a C-section um, and 30% had no history of calving intervention. So, you know, as, as far as we we're concerned, the, the cow had calved herself. Um, and I think, again, that that probably gives us a heads up that actually what we, we think is our an okay calving and a calving that doesn't raise concerns isn't isn't necessarily always because sometimes you don't know how long she's been calving for um yeah mm. and actually yeah looking at things like suck reflex and viability and a time to sternal recumbency becomes important for those as well we look to at trace elements and, and trace elements are always a difficult one to look at in a, a dead animal because there is you know there will be a an antioxidant cost to being diseased there will be a reduction in um in intake so they may fall artificially for that um but i think it's certainly worth if you're getting mortality in groups of calves looking at this because what we found was that of the animals that had trace element testing done 58 percent were deficient in vitamin e 54 percent in selenium so those were those were really the, the big two who we saw deficiencies um 17 were deficient in cobalt and six percent in copper so so kind of less important in terms of, of trace element deficiencies but when we looked at that as a, as a sort of population of calves overall 67 percent of them had a, a deficiency in one or more trace elements um and we looked at that for for certain conditions where reduction in antioxidants and, and reduction in trace element status are, are, are thought to potentially contribute. So 83% of calves with avamasal ulceration had a trace element deficiency. And for your acute infectious pneumonia, so your pasteurellas, 95% did. So I think particularly if you're seeing mortality, um, it's, it's worth going back to the group of calves that these calves came from and, and looking at trace element status there. 
Okay, that's fascinating. Thank you very much, Katrina, for sharing your findings. That's That's been fascinating. Thank you. Not at all. Thank you very much, Elsie.